Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. From Mill Wines talks to us about his adventures with Audi Bardenhorst. He is the sales and marketing and distribution arm of that amazing brand. And we caught up with him to live through the adventure that is Audi Bardenhorst. He's an amazing character in the industry. Lots of wonderful insights. Have a listen to this. Joined in studio today by Chris Mill. Now, anybody who is young and impressionable and wanting to look for a career in the wine industry and who knows Christopher would probably hold him as the sort of James Bond of the wine industry sales and marketing. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Chris, welcome to Carrie's Corner. How are you? Very well, thanks, Salvat. I'm good. So, as you know, every now and again, I haul somebody in from the industry and cut and slice and dice so that everybody knows who they are, where they are, what they do, where they come from. And Christopher has really made his mark without wishing to blow too much smoke, Chris. He really has made his mark as, I think, the single biggest independent um, distribution and sales and marketing agent in the country. And I first met Christopher... I was trying to think how long ago, Chris. It's a long time ago. 24 years ago. Mm. And he was working for Nick Demont um, at a company called New World Wine Agencies, where I think Chris learned his skills on how to set up distribution, how to stay in touch with your client, which is your wine farm, really, and your end user, which is your drinker. And he then left Nick Demont and went on his own and has started a little business called Milne Wines. Milne Wines. And he will try and sidestep and tap dance and pretend that he hasn't been successful. But if I say the words Springfield Wine Estate, um, A.A. Bardenhorst, Bouchard Finlayson, I know every single one of you will know who I'm talking about, Chris. Tell us 
What got you into the wine industry in the first place? Carrie, I was working at the Grace Hotel in Rosebank at the time, and I was just battling with the hours. Um, I complained to one of my hostesses, and she'd said, why don't you chat to Daddy? Because he's involved in a wine farm. <laughs> Every boy's dream. And unbeknown to me at the time, Alex's father was Nick Demont, who was uh, one of the original shareholders of Bushard Finesson. And um, the rest is history. I chatted to Nick about a week later, and that was my introduction into the wine industry. Uh, so it was completely by default. And you didn't know anything. Well, you knew about wine because you were doing a whole lot of stuff in the hotel business, weren't you? I knew about wine. I'd also had a good relationship with Michael Fridjohn uh, mm. from my previous job at the Johannesburg Country Club. Mm. And Michael had always uh, helped me with, I suppose, just with technical uh, details with wines. Tasting, tasting, yeah. Um, because it's it's quite a it's quite an intimidating um, uh, industry mm. if you don't have all your sort of dots and eyes mm. checked because everybody's a, a, a wine specialist. Well, I was going to say everybody wants to be that wine specialist, and and you also don't want to come across as being that wine a hole. Can we call it that on radio, Callum? Help me here. You don't want to be that person who's always a smart ass when it comes to wine. And you're not like that. Christopher's a very nicely brought up Michael House boy as well. So the likes of Giles Webb, etc. We all stick together like birds of a feather, my child. But aside from that, um, so you went from from sort of hotelierying into wine sales and distribution with Nicholas. Um, I think Nicholas's business sort of diminished a bit he, he cut and chopped and changed and what have you and, and you decided to go on your own so long story short you took on a couple of brands which we are going to do a little series of um, cameos for on Carrie's Corner today specifically I wanted to talk to you about Ardy Barn and Horse Wines because I think he's just he's so controversial He's fun. He's making superb wine. He comes from a winemaking background. He is left of center. He's controversial. He's making not only his own wine. I think he's been he's been instrumental in that whole Swartland revolution thing, which I, I don't bang on about anymore because a revolution can only be remembered nicely in history, and the history is now in place. We've done the revolution. Now we're sort of moving on to something else. And I think Ardi is one of the first to have embraced that. We revolutionized the industry, and now we're moving on. Um, he's making some unbelievable wines at the moment. How did you hook up with Ardi Badenhorst? I first came across Ardi when he was working for Rustenburg, and I was always good friends with one of the, his sales agents at the time, uh, Patty Savage, and I just had a good rapport with him. Bumped into him at a London trade show uh, one year where I was helping Springfield out, and Ardi had... He just left Rustenburg. Uh, he had some fantastic uh, product that he was showing at the at the fair, and he was the talk of he was the talk of the town uh, at that London trade show. Just because his his product was different, it was everything was thrown together. It was all co-fermented, and it was a sort of start of a very sort of casual, laid back style of, mm, of, of much wine more making, rustic, wasn't it? Really, pretty much so. And all the sort of seriousness with 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 the wine was sort of taken away. Because you can't, you can never really take Ardi too seriously. 
He <laughs> we just adore him. You know, everybody's terrified when you when Christopher phones and says that Adi's coming up to Johannesburg. Can we do lunch, breakfast, tea, dinner, drinks, whatever it is that we're we actually all quiver in our boots at just a teensy bit because he is like a hurricane. It's Hurricane Ardy. Next time they start on the first letter of the alphabet, we're going to tell them it's going to be Ardy. He blows in like an absolute hurricane and he just sorts everybody out, doesn't he? Pretty much so. But his, his enthusiasm and, and his likability is contagious. Mm. So the, one of the easiest things about selling his product is that he you have buy-in from all of these youngsters to mm. uh, to elderly people who at, 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 first, at first glance sort of don't take him too seriously. And the more that you sort of engage with him, you, you learn that there's a, there's a, there's a wealth of, of knowledge with him. Mm. And he just makes it so approachable and easy to understand. He does. I think all of this, all of the seriousness with, uh, with a lot of, uh, winemaking over the years where people have just been too intimidated to ask various questions about how wines are made. Um, I know he sort of broke through the myth that there's this secret society definitely. that you have to belong to if you want to be in the know about wine. He polishes up quite well, actually. In the early days of my career, there were a couple of competitions and things where Adi was forced into, I don't think, a suit ever. I'm trying to remember if I actually ever saw him in a dinner jacket. I think I've got some picture it in my mind. It might have been a Weinberg uh, <laughs> old boy's jacket. <laughs> or his original jacket. <laughs> he is unbelievably infectious, as you say. He's lovable. But he's also clever. He's smart. He made some really, really smart wines at Rustenburg, which all the sort of more snobbish and um, proper wine drinkers might care to remember. And then he went on. To start his own brand, which is A.A. Badenhorst Wines. Correct. Tell us a little bit about those wines. Adi's great mates with Eben Saadi. Eben was already farming in the in the Swartland uh, area um, next door to Lammershoek. And he came across this, this farm called Moosfontein. It was available at the time and he got into partnership with his cousin, Hein. It's about 150 hectares of vine. The winery was a fairly dilapidated old mechanics warehouse. They restored. There's a lovely sort of shabby chic type of feel to the winery. Mm. He started making great wines just from the, the bush vines that were there that were producing incredible fruit. He realized that it just needed a little bit of tender loving care. And uh, the progression of the quality over the next couple of years is testament to the amount of effort that they've put into into the farming of those vines. Mm. But as you said, you know, the quality was always there. It's just the fantastic textures that they started developing from those wines that have become well, a trump card. The interesting part for me is that it was sort of labeled the Sparkland Revolution. But what they really did, him and Eben and a couple of others, they really just resorted or reverted to very old-fashioned winemaking practices in a modern age. Um, so the hygiene was there and all the rest of it that did not necessarily used to be there um, very, very long ago. But all those sort of big open cement, open tank, uh, tank fermenters and, and the way in which they do, I mean, there's very little sort of pushing and pulling and pumping and shoving and carrying on. They just pick it and squeeze it and leave it really, don't they? Correct. It's, it's, it's minimal uh, cellar intervention. Yeah. Um, all wild yeast fermented, minimal fining and, and, and filtering. In fact, Hardy hardly does anything at all, mm. and it's 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 that naturalness that uh, that comes through, which I think 
the majority of, of producers in that Swartland area are trying to convey to the consumer. Yeah. How big is that Swartland area? Because every second person that I speak to talks to me about the Swartland. It must be blooming enormous because at this stage of the game, there are a million labels coming out of the Swartland. The Swartland area is from Tulbach to Darling. Um, so it's just right across the top there. Right across the top. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a Swatland independent uh, brand, which you can subscribe to, and it's it's all just it's a common way of thinking. Mm. Um, when I was at Varsity, there was a Swatland bag in a box, a sucky, and it was the cheapest one at Checkers or Pick and Pay. I think we used to pay I don't know seven rand fifty for five liters of Swatland. I might be getting it wrong, but it could have been a two or a three liter. We drank so much of it that I can't really remember too much about it, but it was absolutely gorgeous. It was Shiraz, and it was in a sake, and we used to buy it from Checkers or Pick and Pay. And then, of course, when the Swartland became so fancy, um, you couldn't get stuff like that anymore. And I think a lot of the grapes that used to go into that, it was a, a cooperative. Is the cooperative still there? It, it is still there. Um, in fact, Audi makes quite a lot of his wine from there. Does he? His assistant, Hanneke, is responsible for, for measuring all of the, the quality uh, in, in, those, uh, in, in those, those co-op in wines. In those co-op wines, yeah. They are such a good value for money. It really, really was super smart wine in a sake. It was brilliant. Yeah. So I think that what we need to do is to get our favorite hooligan putting wine into suckies for those of us old-timers who need to <laughs> reminisce about a three-liter of wine that you paid seven rand fifty-four, and it was seriously good drinking. Chris, I wanted to chat to you about the range of wines from from Ardi. Um, he's got his secateurs, which I think is synonymous with Ardi Badenhorst, really. Secateurs is a fantastic brand. No... Um, no shortage of thanks to yourself. I mean, you really did get out there and push that brand as everybody's favorite. It's like the modern day grasser. Adi's going to kill us when he hears that. But Probably. it is the laughing, singing, <laughs> dancing, pumping, jiving one. I mean, it, it is, isn't it? He makes a, a red and white um, blend. So, so there's um, his, his white is a Chenin Blanc. Um, the red is a blend of Cinso, Shiraz, Grenache, mm. and he does a rosé as well. Yeah, he's got a rosé as well. Nice little label, fabulous package, well-priced. Everybody can have it. It's his Volkswagen Beetle, and we go from uh, – and he's got a Papagaiberg. Papagai, do we still do Papagaiberg or what's it? Papagai's on the market. It, it was originally for export only, mm. and it sort of crept in just for a couple of select restauranteurs, and it's – grown i think just because of the fact that it is just for select restauranteurs and everybody wants it's a slice a, of the action it's got a nice label what's inside the bottle carrie Same not, e- not, not, not even Artie knows <laughs> yeah because everything's co-fermented you don't care people, people often ask what, what are the percentages of this wine yeah and Bardenhall's paperwork is not that great. So we make so, it up every time somebody exactly. gets a different load of percentages. So guys, if you want to, it's not called Papagai Boss or Papagai Berg or anything. It's just Papagai, hey? It's just Papagai White and Papagai Red. Is there red to go with it? Okay. There's a red, which is 100% sincere. Okay, so it's interesting to me that the reds, we can always put a label on a red, but the white we go a little bit rogue on. Correct. Yeah. 
So from from his family white, uh, which is about fourteen different cultivars. I know it's exquisite though. It's everything. It's walked past the tank except for Sauvignon Blanc and himself. And himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is absolutely. I was getting on to the family reserve. There's an A. A. Bardenhorst. It's called Family Reserve White and Red. Hey. He's changed it to Calmus Fontaine Blend. Calmus Fontaine sounds like a terrible virus or allergy that that Afri- young Afrikaans girls got in the 1920s. So Colmos looks like a bulrush, and the locals used to chop it up, mix it with brandy, um, throw away the Colmos, and... And drink the, the rum finky. And, and the potency of, of the mixture had hallucinogenic material and <laughs> appa- like apparently acted mushrooms. as an aphrodisiac as well. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So it's for, for the American market, I think that he actually... He, he takes Colmos Fontaine off, off the, bla- the, 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 the label. label. Okay. Just for... Um, so Colmus is actually a thing. It's a it's a thing. You know, people other than South African winemakers made intelligent stuff out of bulrushes. They made papyrus. They taught people to write. All that. We teaching people to become hooligans and drink. But we do love we do love those wines. So those family reserve as they used to be. Um, or let's just call them the Rolls-Royce White and the Rolls-Royce Red because they're the top of the tree when we're talking A.A. Bardenhorst. Um, the White has got sort of everything. It's got Grenache. It's got Semillon. It's got Pinot Gris. It's got, it literally has, you say, 12 or 13 cultivars. It's got about 14 different cultivars. And oh, it's so delicious. Though. When, when we first started trying this wine in the local market, there's, there's that uh, element of people not understanding the wine. Yeah. So he, he advertised it as a Chenin-based uh, blend. Yes. But the whole thing is you, you don't want to identify a particular cultivar in the wine. No. What, 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 what you're aiming for is texture and, and a bit of weight in the palate. And all the different cultivars add something to that. Yeah, a different layer. To that recipe. Mm. And some of the, because everything's co-fermented, you get some underripe grapes. You get some so I was going to say, so do they go into a bit like a bit like sort of Spain or Portugal in the olden days? They used to go into a, into a vineyard, pick the whole vineyard, chuck it all into a thing, squeeze it, and whether it was sort of ready or, or properly ready or overly ready, they all got pressed together. Correct. And I just still think that that's the most intelligent way of making wine. It might be a bit haphazard, and you might sort of get one better vintage than another, which is really what farming is all about. But it does give you a much bigger spectrum across which to get those layers of flavors that you're talking about. So nice acidity from those that are not quite ripe, beautiful juicy fruit from those that are perfect, and maybe a little bit of sort of granny's <laughs> big panties, you know, <laughs> sort of floppy There's on the end, which is comfortable and very, very comforting. Artie always points out that because of because of their their farming in that area, they're confident with the fruit, mm. and that is half your battle won. Mm. So, knowing when to pick your fruit at a particular time, and feeling confident that yes, some some grapes are underripe, you know, others might be performing at their peak yes. at that particular yes. point in time. They've got he's got the confidence, and he knows that often the runt of that that litter is going to turn out to be the cream of the crop. Yeah. And it's that same sort of level of consistency that they're, that they're trying to get. Adi is sort of at the pinnacle, I think, of his winemaking prowess. And in the, the best shape of his career as well. Is he? Is he looking absolutely stunning? Trimmed beard, <laughs> good haircut. 
clean and tidy. Above. Yeah. I think that the fruit that's coming out of the Swartland, not only does he know it, but the drinking population know it because you can, I can smell that at 30 paces through the eye of a needle. It is juicy, sumptuous, ripe, sweet, gorgeous, delicious fruit. So most of those Shirazes and Grenache and Sinso that they're putting into their red blends a lot, they are so dreadful. If they're not good fruit, high quality, good fruit picked at the right time, they are parsimonious, pinched, bitter, mean, horrible, mean-spirited wines. Those that are coming out of the Swartland are almost bulletproof. That fruit is delicious, juicy fruit. Do you agree? Completely. The one thing that the Swartland has got over over anybody else uh, in the Western Cape is those old vines. Mm. And the majority of those old vines are, are, are falling into that heritage category that yes. that Johann Rupert has put that that project in yeah, place that Andre Morgenthal is, is running right now. Mm. And on Ardy's farm in particular, he's got the oldest Grenache vineyard in Boy, the in the country. He's going to have to guard that. He's going to have to get sort of seven arrows security to do a little thing around it because it is going to just continue to produce less and less, of course of the most beautiful, beautiful fruit. Is there anything that he's doing that we need to know about? Because if I know Ardy, there's always some shoot to the left or the right, um, largely left of center, that he's doing that he then comes up with, he made brandy, he made gin, I think, did he make, oh, he made caipirinha, he made all kinds of stuff. What's Ardy up to that we don't know about? He's been making a, a tequila. <laughs> okay. Um, What's he making that out of? Magic mushrooms? No, 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 no. <laughs> out, out, out of aloe from Garfrenet. <laughs> out of <laughs> <laughs> There's that. He, he's got uh, he's got caperitif. Um, caperitif, that's right. Which which is it's it's doing incredibly well. It's gorgeous, especially mm. in in the overseas market because it's it was always the ghost ingredient uh, for for a lot of cocktails and nobody really knew where to get it from. Mm. Can you get it from Mozambique. And from South Africa, from Kalmusfontein. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the the, the great thing about uh, Ardy is that he's always experimenting. He's, mm. he's 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 never he's never comfortable with with re- relaxing on his laurels. And there's always uh, a little bit of experimentation with leaving skins uh, on the juice for a little bit longer. So that's that's the one thing that I I found with uh, his product in mm. that. A lot of people always say to me, "Oh, this wine has been uh, a little bit heavily wooded," and there's no wood at all mm. on the on the wine. The, the 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 grip that they're getting on their reds is just from extended skin contact, yes. leaving the stems on, and the wines the wines just get that that complexity and that. Well, I think you know you keep on referring to the word texture. As I get older, I mean, I used to really really look for, I used to look for aromatics on the nose. And this long-lasting finish. And as I get older, all I want is that in reds, velvety, soft smoothness that slips down your throat. And in whites, I want that tinkly brightness. I think Michael Fridjohn once referred to it as luminosity. But you can almost see through it. It's almost transparent. It tinkles. It dances on your tongue. It's bright. It's light. And it's clean. And I think that Artie's getting that to all of his wines. His his red wines are so textured. They velvet and satin and silk and all those beautiful soft materials that you want 
to feel. Well, in essence, he's, he's just trying to get you to taste the fruit of the, of the land. Mm. Um, they refer to New Oak as mascara in that area because it makes the wines fairly pretty. And he says a lot of the time, you know, you're, you're picking up all those vanilla undertones rather than the fruit. Than the fruit. Mm. Mm. And, and that's, the, that's the first thing that you, that you notice about his wines is that there's a fantastic fruit profile Huge. on all of them. Yeah. So is he is he oaking them for shorter periods of time as well? Carrie, the, the, the oak that he's using, those old 50-year-old uh, food dress that, that, that impart no, no influence of, of mm. oaking at all. Because mm. um, I think that's a big move in Europe as well. So many of the people that I speak to in Europe haven't used oak for many, many years. They basically use it as a vessel to carry the wine in. Correct. I think that they're basing themselves on that, that coat the Rhone Valley mm, style, mm, mm. where it's 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 all it's all farming. Yeah, those 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 farmers that that are using that are using the same barrels that they have been using for about the last twenty odd years, and and all complain that they haven't been directed in the path of positive cash flow. Ca- yeah, positive cash flow. <laughs> positive cash flow. <laughs> it is quite posh to have cash flow, though. You're quite right there. Will Adi ever make a serving or blank? I think that there's a, a price for anything. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I just laugh so much. You know, I said many, many years ago, um, even before, long before Duncan had a wine call that I always used to say at my wine tastings, because serving or blank is not my favorite thing. I always used to say she's so ordinary and so plain that if she goes to the matric dance, she'd never be asked to dance. And she indeed never was by me. Um, and many people that I know, except that we're starting to make some rather interesting and um, Sauvignon Blancs with long legs that can actually age a little bit. And I thought, who better than an Irban or an Ardi to try and experiment a little bit with Sauvignon Blanc to see if we could make her prettier? Kerry, that's going to take a lot of arm twisting, I'm sure. Maybe next time he comes up to Johannesburg, we've got ways and means here, you know. We could We could threaten him. We could kidnap his daughter the one the one interesting thing about the product is that i think that they wanted people to drink wines where you couldn't identify something in that in that wine to understand it Mm. and with sauvignon blanc unless you tasted a bit of passion fruit or guava (laughs) or gooseberry Mm. you you weren't you weren't comfortable with the wine because you you didn't actually know what you were drinking Mm -hmm. and that for them was 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 half their and you know the other thing the is is that who cares if you can't taste that stuff in wine? Who cares if you're tasting a glass of wine and you can't identify the the sort of characters and of, of all the cultivars in there? The the thing really is to finesse the grape to get the very, very best out of it. And I think that those boys and Ardi in particular has managed to actually there's enough foreplay in his cellar to make sure that those grapes are so ready to deliver. They really are. And and he's just taken time over the last couple of years. How long has he been in his own in his own business, his own farm? When did he leave Rustenburg? It's a long time ago. It 17, 20 years ago maybe. Um, I think it's a little bit, probably about 15 years ago. Yeah, it's a long time that he's been in it. And he's really, really stood the test of time. I knew his dad, Andre. Um, who used to work at Groot Constantia. At Baton Verwachter. Was it Baton Verwachter? It was somewhere in the Constantia Valley there, I remember. And also, equal amounts of fun and what have you. Is Andre still making wine anywhere? No, in fact, 
at uh, at the farm. It's it's a bit of a family affair. So his his brother-in-law Hannes Jan Jan Boerland Kutsier's son. Yes, is is helping That's out right. as, as farmhand. That's right. Are they married? Jan Boerland's daughter. That's yes, quite Cornelia. right. Cornelia, the long-suffering and gorgeous Cornelia. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got his his Artie's brother Charles is, is also helping out at the farm. Um, his Charles' wife Sema, who does all of the uh, accommodation with with all of the, the cottages there. Mm. Uh, Artie's father helps with some of the sales and the marketing. Okay. Although he kind of gets pushed to the side quite a bit. <laughs> and um, Jan Bullet creeps through quite a, every now and again. You've got him at the farm and giving, giving, gi- giving, giving Artie a little bit of advice. But yes. I think it just falls in deaf ears. <laughs> he is one of the most wonderful characters that the Cape Winelands has to offer. He's never been dull. He's never been boring. He's grown and he has really, really put his money where his mouth is. He teamed up with you how many years ago? About 11 years ago now. Mm. And between you, you have done an amazing job of putting the R the R Badenhorst. I always think of R whenever I open up the platter guide. It's number one, and I thought I, I wonder if that was a I wonder if that was another Badenhorst ploy to be number one in the guy platter guide. Anyway, you between you, you have launched a brand that is much loved in South Africa. It's always interesting, always something new, always something to fit everybody's pocket. And always um, pregnant in the form that we're waiting to see what the next delivery is. Thank you, Ads. It's it's been great to be part of the process to see how that brand has grown, and half of it is just because people often talk about that guy that did their tasting, and he was completely off the charts. <laughs> uh, we, we we did a tasting one of, one of the first tastings we did, and they were tasting the the family white. And somebody says, I, I, some lady said, unfortunately, I don't know how to drink this. And Artie said, orally, ma'am. <laughs> Not and, suppository and, 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 and no. And, there, and there's always that element of tongue-in-cheek yes. and, and just naughtiness. I know. That, that accompanies a brand where, where people talk about it in that sense. It's immemorable. And, and he's immemorable. And so are you. And so we're going to – this is the first of three because we'll do one for Artie. We'll do one for Bouchard. And one for the inimitable Springfield, who we told everybody to drink Springfield last week. I hope they did. They drank. They was. They were instructed to drink Thunderchild. Did you tell Bardenhorst? I didn't tell Bardenhorst. No. But this week they're going to drink. They're going to drink either Papagai or they're going to drink. Listen, they're going to drink whatever they can afford at this stage of the game because South Africans <laughs> are on their knees. So go and buy yourself a bottle of. Of AA Badenhorst wines, whichever one you can afford, whichever one sort of shrieks at you on the shelf, buy it and drink it tonight. Christopher, thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you, Kerry. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed the lineup that we had for you this evening. When you consider the revenge that the universe is unleashing on the planet in various corners of the globe at the moment, let's be thankful that we are safe and free from any natural disasters. All we really need to do is to support the booze industry as much as we possibly can. Wear a mask wherever you can too, or wear a mask all the time when you're out. And if possible, get a vaccination. For the rest, have a fabulous weekend. Until next Friday, from me, Carrie Adams. Good night.